Good evening. We are married, and we have um, a peculiar affection for Lent. We really like Lent. And so the planners of the Worship for All Ages team invited us to share a little bit with you about why we're crazy enough to think we love Lent. Uh, let me say a little bit to get us started. We grew up very differently. I grew up as an only child in a family that lived overseas with professional parents who by the time I was born were both Episcopalians. So we grew up going to the Anglican church wherever we were living and we were always in church and I was the little person carried along with that. My parents were both university educated and my experience of being in the church was being largely with grown-ups. So I grew up um, an Irish Catholic just outside New York City. Um, uh, my family was a hot mess um, of love and of working class people, many of whom were military. Uh, and eventually things like law enforcement. My father was a um, construction worker in the summer and a, a carpet cleaner in the winter. And uh, in my family, if you didn't go to church, it, you weren't in trouble with your parents. Um, you were in trouble with God. <laughs> um, you needed a dispensation from a priest or a bishop to not attend church every Sunday, is how I was raised. And we lived right across the street. Uh, my front porch is just about the same distance to the doors right there as the Catholic Church was in my mostly uh, Protestant town. There were just a few of us who lived in, in the village who, uh, who were Catholic. So that was like our embassy in WASP America. But then I married a, a WASP. <laughs> so we are not here to tell you about how to keep a Holy Lent because we had such wonderful experiences growing up. We're here to share a little bit about our experience and how we ended up where we are. So I've heard Trisha tell me a lot of stories about the things she gave up at Lent. Tell us something. Because people give stuff up for Lent. So um, I would say for most of my childhood, um, the nuns would set us up um, to pick the thing we loved the most and give it up. That's all I remember hearing. Um, so of course it was chocolate. I mean, that was not hard. Um, but what, what happened is every Lent, I would have sort of like a substitutionary situation. Um, so I ate Twinkies in Lent. I mean, I would get, they didn't have a Costco and stuff, but I would get like the big things. Um, and my parents were all in on this too. They were just like, just make sure there's no chocolate in them. Um, I ate so many Twinkies every Lent, even when I see a Twinkie now, it's just, it looks like Lent um, <laughs> to me. Um, but I had no one in my life asking me what any of that had to do with Jesus. Um, but it was hard. Um, and my dad, with all of his Marine Corps tattoos, I felt like, I can give up chocolate. Um, that was like my tattoo. Um, I started to, then I learned how to make oatmeal cookies that didn't have chocolate in them, so I still have this great recipe to this day, but it's, I think of them as Lent cookies. Um, 
So like many of you, my upbringing was, uh, if you had an upbringing like this, was something, there was something about pain that was kind of good, or longing that was good, and you should set yourself up for it by finding something you love deeply, and then just saying no to it uh, for 40 days, and telling everyone you were doing it. Um, I even had a religion class once where I had to write chocolate. I, I, everyone had to put a label on them of what they'd given up. It was like a badge of honor. I had like Twinkies in my pockets. I mean, I don't know what that. So from my side, I don't remember being asked to give anything up. But what I remember is that the world I lived in got really serious. And so I went to a girls' school. I wore a little uniform. And what I remember most about school was they took things away from us. So in Lent, we had no dessert. Hot lunch, but no dessert. Now, my mother and dad didn't make dessert very often. So I looked forward to lunch at school, because it had dessert. So I remember Lent as a time when we had a lot of vegetables and a lot of not sugar. And then I remember the church. And I loved the church. This is a church in London, England. I remember it vividly. And it just always seemed quieter. It seemed plainer. There was a lot of this color of beige. And then there was a lot of purple on anybody that was serving at the altar. So I remember the color changes. I remember it felt to me that all the hymns were in minor keys. Like we sort of got very dour. But again, we weren't really talking about it as a family. So Tricia, when did you begin to take, have a sort of change of heart about Lent? Uh, it was actually in 2008. Um, I think was the first time that I, I sort of changed in my mind thinking that Lent was about giving up or taking on something. Um, I, um, I wound up, it was in March, and I wasn't feeling well and I went to the hospital. I'd never actually been a patient in a hospital before. Um, and I stayed in for 24 days. Um, and it was, it was right in the middle of Lent, so we'd already had Ash Wednesday, and, but Easter wasn't there. Yet, uh, so sort of half of Lent I spent um, in this uh, hospital room. And um, it was the first time in my life where, because I, growing up so close to a church and just doing church things my whole life, um, I, I loved church um, and all that. It's a, a lot like what COVID has done to the world now. All of it was gone. There were no statues that were covered. You know, there was no purple. Um, the hospital w worked very much the same way during Lent. Um, I'd never not been to church, even as an infant, on, um, on a Sunday in Lent. In fact, most of the Lents in my life, I went to church every day, all the way through graduate school and after. And so I'd never not gone to church every day, and there I was for 24 days and never um, went to church. I couldn't really walk while I was there, so I couldn't get to the chapel, and they didn't have like a, a video feed. So it was the first time in my life where I had to say, well, what is Lent without purple? What is Lent? And by the way, I asked friends to bring me purple things. I had purple socks. They brought me a purple blanket. Don't tell, like, church people you want purple, because they just went, I just looked like someone had just thrown up, you know, the purple crayon story all over the, but, but that helped. Um, I had an Anglo-Catholic friend, you've got to have one of these, who brought a statue and covered it and left it by the window, covered. <laughs> that was great conversation with the staff. Um, they thought it would, they kept saying, do you want to open it? They thought it was a wrap present. I'm like, no, 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 no,
Um, so I had to hum on my own. Um, I couldn't really use a keyboard or anything like that, so I couldn't kind of go, I mean, I always would go online and watch YouTube and stuff, but I couldn't do any of that. So that was the first time where I felt like, the only thing that felt like Lent was that I knew I wasn't alone observing it. I think you could say that was the loneliest time in my life in one sense, but it was the reverse because I just focused on this idea, and that's why we picked, one of the reasons we picked this picture, it's not just people going on a journey, walking on a path, but that there's a bunch of them. And, and I felt... And they're going the same direction. They're going the same direction, but they're doing it in different ways. They're wearing different things. I'm sure they packed different things. That was a theme. You know, Jesus kind of sets us out in the, in the gospel today to go out into the world and share the story of his love for, for the world, all the world, including the world, the creation. Um, but this idea, and I felt it so strongly, the cloud of witnesses. There's nothing like being alone if you ask God to help you do it, to be able to feel the company of the communion of saints, to feel the room is crowded to wonder when a nurse came in if there would be even room for them to get in. Like my whole imagination for over 20 days just learned this idea that for me, Lent was not about what I gave up or took on, frankly. It, it was about who was with me, the living and the dead, and telling everyone who came in and said, why are you smiling? Because my prognosis was not good. <laughs> um, and I would start to tell them stories about a saint I remembered or a friend of mine or people who I thought were in the room. So um, for you, when did Lent go from being no pudding, as they said in England, um, to something you love now? It's also about people. It's about community. I was in college, and I had found my way to the campus ministry for the Episcopal Church. And it was, like a lot of campus ministries, very small, kind of a mix of faculty, staff, and a few students in an upstairs room, very hard to find, bad signage, all of it, right? And I found my way there by grace, and I happened to find my way there um, just before Ash Wednesday. And what I discovered was a praying group of people, and they invited me along for Lent, and they said, we're going to covenant, we're going to be together every day for 10 minutes at lunchtime to pray, and we would love for you to join us. And I did. And all of a sudden, Lent had a meaning, it had a structure, it had a community, it had 40 days. We were looking forward to something. We were struggling with questions. And all of a sudden, I started to realize this is my chance to do what I call now, clean out my closet. This is my chance every year to stop and notice what I believe, why I believe what I believe, and how much I need to believe what I believe in community. That I can't do it alone. On the days that I would tear there from class and I was hungry and I was tired, the prayers we prayed anchored me in the promises of God and anchored my behavior in promising to support other people in their journey with God. So my baptism started to make sense. The promises that had been made for me when I was an infant the things we turned away from, we talked about that. As we walked away from that 10-minute prayer session, we'd talk about where is the evil in the world? How are we turning from it? What difference does that make? How do people know that we believe this? How does our life shine for other people who don't have the hope of Jesus Christ? And it was just this motley crew of people, a philosophy professor, a biology professor, 
couple of TAs in my department. You know, it was just this fun, odd group of people. But we prayed together every day of the week, Monday through Friday. And then we always checked in on Monday. Where were you in church on Sunday? So there was this expectation of accountability and growing and going deeper. And some people brought their kids. They went and got their kids and brought them. And so our little 10 minutes became 20 minutes. And by the end of Lent, I think we were praying together every day, sometimes for as much as 30 minutes. Nothing formal, just prayer, just inviting each other to share what it was that we had on our heart in anticipation of what was to come. That promise that we were going to enter into Holy Week and we were going to enter into the holiest days of Jesus's life. We were going to walk with Jesus to Jerusalem. We were going to watch and wait while he was crucified. We were going to wait in silence until the promise of the resurrection would come again and the tomb would be empty. But I had never felt so ready for Easter as I did that year. And I have never looked back. I have something about that transformation of, it wasn't about giving things up, it wasn't about taking things on, it was about focusing. And I think all of us can do that. However old we are, however busy we are, we can see these 40 days as this huge gift that God gives us in community to remember who we are and who we're called to become. What do you long for about Lent? I went to a divinity school and not a seminary for the same degree. Um, and as you were talking, um, um, I was thinking about the difference between, let me put it this way, when I was at divinity school, I used to long to go to a seminary. Um, we had chapel twice in my three-year MDiv, and both were funerals. That was the only time we went into the chapel. Um, and when I first came here 23 years ago, I heard that there were three times of prayer a day, and I thought, that's already one more than three years of my <laughs> MDiv. But the idea was in a divinity school that, that you were there, you know, and an A was better than an A minus, obviously, and A minus was better than a B plus, obviously, but if you got a B plus, you should probably leave because you weren't going to go on to a doctoral program. It was cutthroat. My professors were all famous and had no time for any of us, but that was okay too because you went there to be around them, not to get to know them. And everyone was so busy and they had jobs and they lived off campus or on campus. I, I, some friends I never even knew where they lived in three years. And I dreamt of, of being at a seminary. Because the difference between a divinity school and a seminary is a shared story. Now, we're not all Episcopalians. There are a lot of us. And if you're interested, you could just see me after. <laughs> but in my whole graduate experience, there was no shared, do you know what I'm saying? The call to what? Half my colleagues wanted to be the, the editor of, in religion for the Times or the LA Times or the Post. They weren't there for religious reasons at all. That's their description, not mine. So there, there was no shared story, in, even in, in, in the Christian faith. Monotheism, theism. So when I get excited about right now, and this Lent, I'm still grateful to be at a seminary. Mm. I learned a lot of biblical languages. I learned a lot of philosophy. I, I, I don't know that I would do that differently. In fact, the reason I love that I did that is I get so frustrated when we operate like a divinity school. Maybe that's why I went. That we walk next to each other and not even talking about a shared story. When, oh my gosh, 
all the worship we do together, the prayer we do together, the living we do together, of all ages, we need you. I'm learning about God from you. So my great longing is that we live into this journey that we're on in the blessing of a community with a shared story. Lent isn't a project, it's a story. And it started yesterday, and it's one where we're literally walking with Jesus into an unknown place. I mean, the future is always an unknown place. But we have this opportunity to know one thing, that if you wound up in a hospital room tonight or in a bunker in Ukraine, my understanding of the gift of faith is that you, everyone is walking with you. And now the Orthodox, I know the calendar's different, but you know what I mean. <laughs> that we are doing something together. And of course we are, because we're one body. And in the hospital, I remember feeling like, I can't type right now, but I'm part of a body. Someone's typing. Someone is singing. And most of them, all those people should rest a little bit. And that's, that'll be what I'm doing for 24 days. Because the body needs to rest too. So think of yourselves. Mm -hmm. This is what we've been doing at night, trying to think about our Lent at home. Not to give up or to take on as an end in itself, but to be the body with you. Some of you we know well, some of you don't know at all. But to, to radically believe in the story, that, that just because it's a story doesn't mean it isn't true. That we're going to join with you. We are joined with you. Actually, that's the reality. Mm -hmm. That's already happened in baptism. We can choose to, to walk next to you rather than walk with you, of you and Christ. So my great longing is, is really summed up, frankly, <clears throat> in the last Harry Potter book. <laughs> no spoiler alerts here, but um, in 4,176 pages, there's only two Bible verses in, that, in all seven books. And they come in the last book. Any of you know what the first, and they're both on graves, what the first Bible verse is? It's on Dumbledore's family's grave. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then they go over to Lily and James Potter's grave, and, and these aren't in the movies, so if you're a movie watcher, you just got called out. Um, does anyone know what the verse is on their grave? The last. The last enemy to be defeated is, is death. death. On every Ash Wednesday, we read the gospel, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And listen carefully on Easter Sunday, because the epistle is from Corinthians chapter 15. The last enemy to be defeated is death. Those two verses, the only two in that whole series, are actually the bookends of our lectionary of Lent. And when the author was asked why she did that, she said because she thought those two verses invited people into the entire Christian story. We are searching for our treasure with friends in a fellowship, fighting, dying, believing. And we can only do that because death has been defeated. So Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, and all you have to do is read the news now and agree. But take heart, he said. I have conquered this world. And we say of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the desert and the cross. So both of us hope that you find your place in the story and setting that joy before you lets you endure anything in this Lent, the suffering of your body, of the body of Christ, and of the world.
Amen.